Welcome to this bonus episode of the Lady Science Podcast. We have a very exciting interview today with Ann Choma, a consultant for the HBO series Gentleman Jack, about the life and relationships of Ann Lister. Ann Choma is a writer, historical researcher, and Ann Lister expert who has transcribed and decoded part of Ann Lister's diaries in the book from Penguin Books titled Gentleman Jack, The Real Ann Lister. And since all three of us are big big fans of the show. We are very delighted to have you, Anne. So welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. So let's just dive right in. Um, why don't you tell us first how you became involved with the Gentleman Jack TV series? Um, well, I've uh, been a friend of Sally Wainwright's for many years, and uh, I've known her since 2002. And we had um, an opportunity to be part of a project in 2002 to try and transcribe Anne Lister's diaries and so that was our initial um, meeting and we became friends then and have stayed friends ever since and have had a lasting long love affair with Anne Lister all things Gentleman Jack um, and so when um, she was green lit to write the drama series the BBC HBO drama series Gentleman Jack uh, she invited me on board uh, to transcribe the diaries. And uh, so that, that's how I became involved in, in working with her as her consultant. That's so exciting. <laughs> like, as a historian, I just think it would be so much fun to be asked to do something like that. And I mean, so it was a great, great privilege because even though I'm friends with Sally, to be asked to be part of a major TV series and to do something you really love, it was very, very special. So, I have, you know, I'm very thankful to Sally for that. So I wanted to ask about kind of what it is like doing that work and sort of as a consultant for the shows, what aspects you're involved in. I mean, for example, do you work specifically on, you know, the writing of the show and, you know, the use of the adaptation of the diaries for the script? Or do you get involved with other aspects of it, like you know, what the costumes should look like mm. and the sets and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I've been in such a unique position to be involved in all aspects of the drama, um, from storylining of the scripts, um, working with the cast by supplying them with as much information from the diaries about their specific role as possible. Um, so I, I worked very closely also with Tom Pye, the costume designer, and, and with uh, Anna Pritchard, the set designer, so it could be, you know, I could be working one day transcribing diaries and doing something very specific for Sally and researching a specific specific aspect of the diaries. On another day, I could be working with Tom Pye on trying to find the correct tartan for the Cameron clan in Scotland. <laughs> um, so it was a really very, you know, my time as consultant on Series 1 was very, very um, special and very, very varied. Uh, but, of course, the... The biggest aspect of what I did for Sally as consultant was to transcribe the diaries. It's a huge part of what I do and what I'm doing now for Series 2. Um, for Series 1, we transcribed in excess of 300,000 words. And wow. for Series 2, I've, I believe from yesterday's email that I received from the production office that I've transcribed in excess of 400,000 words for this for this new script. Wow. Um, so it's... Um, my, my job as consultant with Sally seems to evolve as time goes on. And, uh, of course, working with Sir Anne Jones and Sophie Rundle was very special in Series 1. 
um, watching them recreate Anne Lister and Anne Walker was extraordinary. When I was um, writing the book, the BBC companion book, it was just great to see the characters come to life in front of me. And uh, it was very, 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 very special. Um, Sally and I, we, we were, I mean, today, even, you know, I had a, have a, had a conversation with her this morning. So we, we worked together um, very closely on a day-to-day basis throughout the production. So we talk to each other every day and we share ideas all the time. We have a really lovely working relationship and I think we respect each other very much in terms of how we view and feel about Anne Lister. Um, the production team I work with at Lookout Point are, are also just super, super brilliant and fantastic and very, very talented group of people. I mean, I, I'm just one of a very, we're actually quite a small team, which might surprise people, but I just, every day, I think how privileged I am to be able to work as consultant on the, on the drama. When you're adapting primary source material like the diaries for television, what kinds of compromises do you have to strike between fact and fiction, since they are different mediums and audiences engage with the written material and film in different ways? Yeah. I mean, obviously, working with a primary script um, does present its challenges. And uh, we wanted the script, Sally wanted the script to stay as close to the journals um, as much as uh, we could. So in essence, we wanted to produce a version of Anne's life that we hoped she would recognise, but also one that would appeal to a modern audience. Uh, so we wanted to show Anne with all, all of her flaws and her brilliance. Um, but, of course, this, this presented itself, presented problems in itself because um, for Sally, she had to distill 18 months of diary down to eight hours of television, which was a massive challenge. What was important, of course, is that we produce good TV drama. Uh, but at the same time, we wanted, we didn't want to oversimplify and dilute the complexities of Anne's life by taking too much poetic licence. Uh, so Sally, as a dramatist, had to find a way of working some of the more complex traits of Anne's character um, and trying to balance that with the need to keep the narrative dramatic and exciting. So lots of challenges in working with a primary script and, and, and the ways in which Sally had to be inventive in her script to, re- to reflect the truthfulness of Anne's life. Um, I mean, a, a very, very good example of this would be you know, how, how we would take aspects of Anne's life from the diary, from the transcriptions, and turn them into drama. Um, it didn't always necessarily follow the exact um, way Anne would tell it in her diary, but we would we would have grains of truth in the way that we depicted it on screen. A good example is when Bea Hobart rejects Anne Lister in Hastings, which we see in episode one, and uh, Anne's distraught and... and absolutely inconsolable in the diaries really she she buries herself in her room in 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 seclusion and she she's wretched and she cries and her eyes are swollen her face is swollen but the way we depicted that on screen was to have Anne Lister crying her eyes out on Bea Hobart's knee in actual fact that wasn't um scripted it was improvised but it was you know it's, it's just kind of things like that how we would take aspects of the diary and we would work with them to produce watchable TV. That's very cool. Uh, so we were wondering um, what kinds of details about sort of Anne Lister's world and and the, the time and places in which she lived uh, come from the diaries and uh, how were those integrated into the show? 
I think, you know, one of the things we did very successfully in the drama was that we showed very clearly how difficult it was for women to be different and transgressive. Um, and we, we know that Anne Lister was an extraordinary human being, but not everybody was as intellectually capable or as brave as she was. Um, so I think what makes Anne Lister so special is that she has an enlightened understanding of her emotional and physical identity. But in the drama, we see what happens when women don't have this kind of inner strength. And I think we see it very clearly in Lydia Leonard's depiction of Anne's early lover, Mariana Lawton, who bowed to society's demands by entering into a marriage with a man she didn't love. So Mariana essentially became the chattel of a husband like many married women at the time. So I think in that sense, the, the drama is a great success because we do show an alternative side to the life of women. Um, but more generally, I think in answer to your question, I think the drama has uh, a very authentic Yorkshire feel to it. I think the language in the script is rooted in its northern landscape. So, for example, in episode one, we also kick off in 1832 at the time of the Great Reform Act. So we see things, we see how things are starting to shift and move politically and culturally and socially for those lives for those people whose lives are controlled and managed by landowners like Anne Lister. So I think we do we do um, integrate those aspects of Anne's world into the show very, very well. Yeah, I, um, I'd say in, in undergrad, I did a lot of uh, research on the 1830s and 40s in, um, in the UK and especially in, in Yorkshire and the effects of industrialization. And I really loved seeing all this stuff that, you know, I spend a lot of time on kind of coming to life and mm. and those and the way that like yeah the the that there's this like political and economic drama that's sort of this <laughs> this part of it uh that can be hard to make exciting but that like I find really fascinating. Also I love the costumes. Uh I have uh I kind of adore um clothing of that time period because it's so ridiculous and I very much appreciated that uh you had all of those terrible puff sleeves and sausage curls and um yeah I mean that's how I mean how you of course the way we look is the way we also build character and I think yeah. uh, we've got to shout out to Tom Pye the costume designer again because he, what he did with the costumes was phenomenal um um you know, I remember the first day I met him and he'd, he he came with this huge book of drawings of, of his vision of Anne Lister and she instantly leapt off the page. Um, we had great fun with the costumes, but we wanted to be as authentic as we could in terms of what we learned from the diaries. But of course, we know that Anne didn't wear a top hat and we did take poetic, poetic license with that. But, um, you know, these are decisions you make at the time. I have a question um, related to this idea of world building from the diaries, are there points in the diaries when Anne directly engages with things like the Reform Act or with, for instance, like women voting and women's rights? Because I remember, I think it was in episode one where her and Mary, uh, is it Mary, the sister? Um, Marion. Mary, Marion. Yeah. And they kind of have a back and forth a little bit about women's rights. So are those things that she engaged with directly in the diaries as well? Or was that something that was integrated into the show for world building? 
Um, she no, she did. Um, she, she did write about politics in the diaries, but she always said she was no great politician. Um, but then she would say that, and then on on another page she'd say, "I'm a natural Tory." Um, but she had no great um, love affair with um, reform in terms of uh, giving greater freedoms to working men. And in fact, when um, you know at the height of the uh, the radical movement in Yorkshire in 1832, you know she she you're very dismissive of, of, of the changes that were that were, that were happening, and and I, but she did take on board, you know, uh, the environment around her. And she was very aware of of the the way that men were resisting um, the, the traditions, and particularly some of the tenants. And you see that with Samuel Sowder, who stands up to her in the pub and says, "You know, there'll come a day when when the workmen turn 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 against the landlords." And actually, in the diaries, this has fantastic resonance with her, and it really affects her. And she talks about it for many days afterwards. This conversation she's had with Samuel Sowden about what is said, and she's discussing this with professional men. So, it, it, you know, politics in a way it did become part of her daily conversation. But she would still say that she had no great interest in it. In terms of uh, women, and uh, she believed that you know women who have property should have some some form of influence. Um, in, in the way that uh, some form of influence in, in the voting system, particularly people like her who had landed property, but that the, you know they were to exercise these powers very cautiously. When she was having a conversation with uh, Lady Harriet de Hadman, who was uh, Via Hobart's half-sister, um, who really wasn't really expressing any, any kind of great opinion on, on what she was trying to talk to her about in terms of women and voting. She described her as being milky and watery. You know, so she's a, she's a complex character analyst in terms of politics. But for, for any for when she heard about any kind of radical um, uprising in Halifax, she de- she described it as impudent absurdity. Um, she she was really not one for reform. This is uh, jumping ahead a little bit in the questions, but I feel like it just leads in perfectly. Um, I do think one of the things that is very interesting and unusual about the show is that uh, Anne is presented as both this very radical person, um, but also this like very like 19th century landowner. Um, and I feel like when we see historical depictions in fiction, um, it's it's tough to tell these kind of complex stories about uh, radical people of the past who are in some ways very liberal and in some ways very conservative by our modern standards. And um, I'd love to hear a little bit about how uh, those two aspects of her were integrated into the show and how you guys talked about it in in building the story for the show. Mm. I mean, it goes back to that initial, the initial initial discussions we had about how we wanted to portray Anne Lister. You know, we wanted to show her with all her brilliance and her flaws, so her good points and her bad points. Mm-hmm. Um, she was radical. I mean, clearly she was radical in the sense that she didn't conform to society's expectations of womanhood. Um, she knew that she could never be a mother or a wife. Um, and, and she used her intellect and a privileged station in life to forge a path that was right for her. But at the same time, you know, she was also a product of her time too. She, you know, we know that she resisted political change that threatened the the old order, the traditions that she grew up with. 
And so we, we see that in the drama, in the conversation she has with Marion Lister in the first episode. Um, she's challenging, you know, Mar- Mar- Sister Marion's views that, you know, we have to move ahead with the times like everybody else's. Um, but these were the, tradi- the the old traditions were the ones that she grew up with and that gave her the financial advantages which enabled her to buy her books and to travel abroad, for example. So she, of course she was keen to to not be one for reform. But of course, um, you know, she was she was radical in different ways, in, in many different ways, particularly in the way she dressed, in the way she walked, in her studies. I suppose that moves on to one of the next questions you might be asking about science and um, but um I just think, you know, she was very much a traditional thinker in many ways. And this kind of is juxtaposed with the fact that she was such a radical person too. Yeah, so I do I do want to ask about her sort of scholarly interests, which were maybe unusual for women at the time. Well, maybe the dissecting bodies part for sure. But can you tell us a little bit about Anne's interest in science and medicine? And I think one of the things that I really liked about the way that this is depicted in the show is that it's used in this way to give us like a really important insight into her personality that she's sort of fearless. She's not really concerned with boundaries, you know, like Marion is very horrified that she would have, you know, looked at dead bodies and knew all of this stuff about how people's insights work, but it shows us how curious she is about the world and how sort of driven she is to find out things that she's interested in. And I think in the show, it's just like this, you know, it's used really well to kind of give us this sense of her personality. And so does that come from the diaries? How, like, how does she write about her interest in science and medicine? Yeah, it, it, it does. I mean, it certainly comes from the diaries and we could have included so much more in series one. Um, I mean, Anne was fascinated with her own body. So it's not surprising that for somebody with such a curious mind that she would have wanted to push boundaries of what she of what was deemed acceptable in terms of female study. Um, she was interested in all aspects of science from, for example, the invention of a treadmill introduced to punish criminal, criminals to the examination of a dead body on a slab in, in order to discover more about life. But she, she studied botany and geology and she once joked that, you know, with all of her extensive medical knowledge of the body, that if all of the trades failed that she she did in life, she could set up for the cure of, of, of bodies. I mean, she was that confident. A typical reading list for Anne Lister might include something like Linley's Natural System of Botany or Charles Lyell's Principles of Geology or Virus History of the Anatomy of Women. She was just so intrigued by the workings of the mind and the body. Um, you know, through her reading, she discovered words for parts of the body that she'd never heard of before. And uh, she, you know, she described conditions that she'd never heard of before. Um, so it's, she, she, she was very forward thinking. I mean, when she wrote to Dr. Belcom about Anne Walker's anxiety and depression at times, she, she displayed like a very, very forward thinking approach to issues around mental health. She said, you know, how evidence of mental illness in someone should not define the value of self-worth of the person who suffers from it which is such a modern concept, and yet here we have someone like Anne Lister talking about it 200 years ago. And it all comes from her reading and her studies. But I think in terms, you know, going back to the drama, you know, we focused on the Anne's um, love of anatomy and dissecting. And I think, you know, it's in the field of comparative anatomy where she really found her niche. 
she placed herself, you know, at the cutting edge of science um, with around theories of evolution with Georges Cuvier and Geoffrey Saint Hilaire, the leading anatomists in Paris at the time. Um, she, you know, she has she attended private lessons with both of these men, and in fact, um, Geoffrey um, Saint Hilaire once commented how he felt privileged being in her company. Um, and not the other way around, because she was so knowledgeable. I mean, she certainly challenged the notion of sort of male exclusivity, but she did it on her own terms. Um, you know, with men she could trust, I think, really. So, you know, we see something of the dissection in, in series one. Uh, we see a dissecting, you know, a baby. But, um, you know, she, she hired a room on the left bank in Paris to carry out her own dissect, dissections. But uh, I think... She was concerned with boundaries and how she appeared to, to an extent, extent. It was a secret operation in, in Paris on the whole that she undertook. And uh, she managed to gain the confidence of a young student who supplied body parts to her. Um, and she was very careful, who, of course, who she told about these dissections. Um, in fact, in, in, you know, in, in my book, Gentleman of Jack, The Real Anlister, you know, I talk about one of the anecdotes from a time as an anatomist in Paris um, that she uses to seduce Via Hobart, which is quite funny. She she tells her that she dissected bodies. And uh, I think in a way, when she does that, she's showing off, um, almost shocking Via, sort of sh- shocking Via Hobart into a reaction by showing her just how transgressive and exotic she could be. Um, but the, the funny thing was, in the end, you know, Via Hobart played along with it and said to Anne, what pleasure you will have then in dissecting me. Um, so it was all um, a bit tongue-in-cheek, but she was very careful about who she spoke to people about, uh, you know, about these things. So I think, you know, she 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 was transgressive and she did very, very unusual things and engaged in scientific debate with important people. And But at the same time, her fearlessness did have its boundaries. It seems like sometimes when you're reading the diaries, especially around that time when she's in Paris and she's studying that lots of the pages are just littered with like um coded parts of these dissected bodies you know it's uh, it's very very unusual and very and very very transgressive for women at the time especially to write about it as well so were these conversations you said that she did have limits in how she who she talked about these things with and how she talked about them but um there are some parts in the show where she is discussing um science and medicine those things that she that she actually did do um and how did people respond to her in these settings and i mean i don't know if those are things that are indicated in the diaries or not i mean we have i mean in the drama we have um Anne Lister talking to you know certain characters about her time as an anatomist but she was very very careful who she did speak to and i've only come across um, her talking to Via Hobart about it in any great detail, but she, with with other people, you know, with with medical men, she would discuss freely her interest in science and and, and anything to do with medical matters. Um, you know, she conversed with people like Doctor Job, the local Halifax um, surgeon, and um, when he suggested to Anne that he wanted to fit up one of his rooms as a for anatomy lecture, anatomy lectures, she offered her offered him her services. Um, she offered to get him um, some kind of model of an ear, so that he could use that for his first lecture. 
So she, she then, she'd engage in conversation with, with people she trusted. And there was another woman who lived in Halifax who was very similar to Anne Lister in terms that she was, you know, she was in class as an oddity, a regular oddity. She was a, a blue stocking, um, a landed woman called um, uh, Miss Pickford. Miss Pickford was aware of Anne Lister's um, interest in science and anatomy. And uh, they would often um, converse with each other through letters. And Miss Pickford would ask Anne, um, uh, she asked her once if she would send her um, a model of a, fren- a phrenological head. So these strange conversations did happen between some of some of her um, acquaintances, but not not too often. She was very guarded about people um, knowing what she did in Paris when she was in the dissecting room. So I am curious about. Um, the code in the diary itself. Um, can you talk a little bit about what she based the code on? And um, since you've been involved in deciphering it, how difficult of an endeavor is that? Um, the, the code is uh, based on lots of different symbols and each symbol has a, a, a letter of the alphabet attached to it. So it's an esoteric mix of algebraic and Greek symbols and letters and numbers. Um, and in terms of working on it, once you have the the key to the code, it's not too difficult to work your way through the coded sections of the diary. The, diff- the difficulty is that Anne doesn't punctuate anywhere within that co- coded within the coded section. So all the words and letters just run on. To each other, so there's no spacing, um, and then of course you not only are you decoding, but you're dealing with archaic language as well. So it is difficult, but it's not difficult at the same time. And um, you've just got to be aware of the the, the challenges of, of the fact that she doesn't punctuate and that she doesn't leave any spaces. Um, and of course, the she can she can break into code at any time. So often you need to know what's gone before in the plain hand, which is under the form of writing to know what's happening in the code. So I think some people find, you know, doing the coded sections easier than the plain hand. Um, but uh, it's, it's choice, really. The, the plain hand has its challenges, too. Are there other things that she includes in the codes aside from her relationships with women? Yeah, of course. She Anything that she didn't want anybody to see or possibly read, she would keep um, hidden in the code. So it wouldn't be just sexual things. It could be anything to do with her finances, um, mm. about how much money she had in the bank or, um, you know, it could be some gossip she'd heard about somebody in Halifax or it could be an innermost thought about what she thought of her father or Sister Marion or something Sister Marion had said that, she just didn't want anybody else to ever see or it could be anything that really she just didn't want to have to include in, in, in the plain hand uh, that she felt was important enough to to be to be coded. And uh, sometimes it could be something really trivial about what she was, what she had for tea. Um, it's very strange. Sometimes very strange things appear in the code, but more than often it was about her love affairs with women and, and, and what went on with them. Is there anything at all that you can tell us about what might be coming in series two? <laughs> I ask. <laughs> um, lots more exciting things. I can certainly say that. Um, well, we we want to continue. We can, we want to continue the story of Anne Lister and Anne Walker, and how following their union at the Holy Trinity Church in York in series one, how how they managed and negotiated their way 
in local society. Well, um, if anyone else doesn't have any questions, I guess that's a good place to wrap up. Um, thank you so much, Anne, for speaking with us um, and giving us some more details about the show and a little bit more texture to Anne Lister's life. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's been great. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of the Lady Science Podcast. Be sure that you leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts so that new listeners can find us. And until next time, you can find us on Twitter at, at LadyXScience and on Facebook at, at LadyScienceMag. <laughs>